Welcome again to Bayou City. So grateful that you're here this morning, this afternoon. If you're a regular with us as a part of our family, you might be wondering why I'm wearing glasses again. I I used to wear glasses and then for like the last four months I've not been wearing glasses and here I am back to glasses. I know you're deeply concerned, so let me tell you about it. (laughs) So uh, this summer, uh, a couple of things happened. I just started got tired of wearing glasses. If you're a glasses wearer, you know, like for the rest of your life, you have to wear glasses. That could be a little defeating. And so I wanted to rebel against that. At the same time, I, I don't have a super strong prescription, so it's possible for me to live without them. At the same time, honestly, I lost a little bit of weight this summer. Felt like I looked great. Didn't want to hide my face behind my big pair of glasses. So kind of all three jammed together. I decided to stop wearing them. A couple of weeks ago, I noticed things were a little bit more blurry than they should be. I hadn't been to an annual eye appointment checkup in years. And so I thought I'm going to go and see what's happening there. So I went to the eye doctor earlier this week. And if you've ever been, they give you the test. Which one's better? Number one, number two. What about number three? You know, long story short, I need to wear my glasses. I ordered a new pair. I'm wearing the old pair today. But like I said, I don't need my glasses to see. My prescription is not that strong. For me, it takes the things that I'm seeing and just makes it sharper, clearer. And that's what I want to do with our time here together. Um, I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't know here on Christmas Eve. Even if you've not been to church in a long time and you're checking back in with us on Christmas Eve, we're glad you're here. I'm not probably going to tell you anything that you didn't know. My hope and prayer and goal is that the meaning of Christmas and the weight of Christmas and the depth of Christmas would sharpen for us because there's a lot of things that we'll do in the next 24 hours that could blur the most important things about Christmas. I mean, we have food ahead of us. We have celebration, tradition, presents, 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 presents. I mean, there's a lot that could blur out what Christmas should be about. But today we're going to sharpen our vision. And I think that we'll do that best by focusing on Mary. You know, we take Mary for granted in the Christmas story. But God asked a lot of her. It was a big ask. And, you know, it's always, it always looks on paper easier to say yes to God than it really is. It looks easy on paper. It's actually difficult in life. Not too long ago, I was at the Home Depot picking up a few things that I needed and I got up to the front to check out and the, the lady behind the counter there was telling me about a promotion that they were doing. It was, it was like one of those uh, pull away the sticker and you might win a prize kinds of things. And she was listing out the prizes for me. The best one, in my opinion, was you could win $1,000 cash. And so I said something like, oh, I could really use $1,000. And she said, I could really use $1,000 too. And when she said that, it was like lightning inside of me. And I knew, as sure as I'm standing here today, I knew that I should tell her, I'm praying that God will give you $1,000. But Like, that's super weird. Like, I came to Home Depot to get a few things. She came to Home Depot to get a paycheck, not to talk about Jesus behind the counter in a few minutes. And so I start talking myself out about that. That's weird. And she doesn't want that. And maybe it wasn't really the spirit of God inside of me leading me. Maybe it was like Jiminy Cricket inside of me or something. (laughs) By the time that I finish my argument with myself, she's handing me my bags. And I find myself walking to my car uh, through the parking lot and... I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's like God puts his giant hands on your shoulders, just starts to press down, you know, and then I'm just fighting it. I don't want to go back in. Now I'm out in the parking lot. Then I'm in my car. And then I remember like, I'm a pastor. 
You know, is, the, is the pastor really going to drive away? So I got out of my car and slammed the door because I'm mad at God for having asked me to do this. And I marched back in and it's going to be awkward. There's no way around it. It's going to be awkward. Now it's just about how to make it the least awkward possible. So I think, well, I'm going to buy something. That makes sense. (laughs) But I don't want to buy anything because I already bought everything that I needed and I don't want to spend any more money. So I find the cheapest thing that Home Depot is selling at that moment, which was a mosquito candle. You know what I'm talking about? One of those citronella deals. And I get back in her line and and person in front of me is done. And I smile at her real big. I can tell she doesn't remember who I am. So I just lean into it. I was in here three minutes ago and we were talking about the peel away, might win some cash. And I said that $1,000 would be great. And you said that you could really use $1,000. And I just want you to know that I'm going to be praying that God would give you that $1,000. And when that happens in the next couple of weeks, I want you to know that that's from him. He loves you and he notices you. She was still staring at me and I said, well, see you later. (laughs) That was in, that was the end of that story. All that to say, saying yes to God seems easy on paper. It's harder in real life. So when we read Mary's story, it, it, it seems easy. It seems like no big deal that God would come and ask her to do this thing. And she just said yes. But it was a big deal. You know, I'm convinced that Mary, outside of Jesus, is the most influential person in these Christmas stories of ours. Because everyone else's narrative is tied to her yes. Without Mary's yes, there are no shepherds. Without Mary's yes, there are no wise men. Without Mary's yes, there are no heavenly hosts coming around the shepherds in the middle of the night. She is the most influential person outside of Jesus in these Christmas stories, and it was all tied to her yes. The one thing that unites all of us today is that all of us want to live a life that counts for something. Even on our most selfish days, we want to make a mark. We want to make the world a a different and better place. And like Mary, that influence that we want is tied to how often we are willing to say yes to God. But saying yes is easier on paper than it is in real life. So I think there are some things that we can learn from Mary's story this Christmas Eve. Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Then the angel left her. So how do we say yes to God more like Mary? I think it's found in that last verse, verse 38, when she says simply, I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. 
Mary didn't just say that for the first time when the angel appeared to her. She had been saying that, saying that silently probably every day of her adult life. That was the posture in which she lived. I am the Lord's servant. So I thought we would take that sentence apart today. I am. Whatever you fill in the blank after the two words I am will be the most powerful sentence that you say will in fact shape your life. I am fill in the blank. Some people are saying I am overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed at work. I'm overwhelmed at home. I'm overwhelmed with my kids. I'm overwhelmed with my expectations. I'm overwhelmed with my parents. If you are saying consistently, I am overwhelmed, most likely you're going to be overwhelmed. If you are saying consistently, I am a Texan. I am a Texan. I am a Texan. I am a Texan. It's, it's great. The thing that people are going to know most about you is that you are a Texan and that's your identity and, and that's what you care about. If you're into politics and you're always saying on Facebook or otherwise, I am a Republican, I am a Republican, I am a Republican, or I am a Democrat, or I am an independent, or whatever it is, that sentence is going to shape your life. Just like the shepherd said, I am going to Bethlehem, and the wise man said, I am going to follow the star, and Herod said, I am the king. There's not going to be any other kings that are born in my kingdom to take my throne from me. Whatever it is that you fill in the blank after you say the words I am is probably going to be the most important thing about you. And what do we see Mary using to fill in the blank? I am the Lord's. I think this is the heartbeat of her response. I am the Lord's. I'm confident that she had Psalm 100 verse 3 memorized And I think that we see that in her response. It says in verse three, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So it says, admit that God is God. The Lord is God. Admit that he made you and that we are his. We see that in Mary's response. He's God. He made me. So I am his. But in admitting that, you have to relinquish control. And control is one of our favorite things because control is what makes us feel comfortable and control is what makes us feel safe. But control is really an illusion. If you've ever been to a retreat or a summer camp, I'm sure they sent you out into the woods to do the high ropes course. It's a bunch of wood out in the, the woods and they hook you up to this harness and then you do all kinds of things that apparently make you a better team or make you a better person. And so one time I was out there and they had this big giant telephone pole stuck in the ground, went about 50 feet tall and had rungs on it. They said, Curtis, we want you to climb to the top. And once you get to the top, you're going to be the Curtis that we all wish that you would be. And so I climbed up there to the top and they, they want you to stand on top of the telephone pole. Of course, you're safe. You're hooked up to the harness, but you know it's wobbly up there. If you've ever stood on top of a telephone pole, anything could knock you over. A breeze could blow. Somebody could toss a pebble down from below. Uh, Somebody could just yell at you and you'd fall because you don't have anything to stand on. The top of a telephone pole is just like this big. There's no foundation there. And for us, that's control. When we think that we are in control of our life, it's like trying to stand on that telephone pole and anything will knock you down. That's why if you're trying to control everything right now, you're easily angered. You're easily frustrated, you're easily disappointed, and you're easily made very sad. Anything comes, any little breeze will come and knock you down because control is an illusion, it's not real, and it's not a big enough foundation to give us anywhere to plant our feet. If you remember in the 1990s, those of you who were alive, there was a very popular bumper sticker that said, God is my co-pilot. 
You can still buy one on Amazon.com. They're available for last-minute Christmas gifts. (laughs) And the sentiment is, as I'm navigating my life, God is with me, helping me navigate my life. Now, if you've considered yourself a follower of Jesus for a while, you know that's probably not an accurate sentence, that God is my co-pilot. More accurately, God is the pilot. He's the one in control. He's the one that's sovereignly moving everything according to his will. But that leaves the question for us, well, where am I going to sit? I'm going to sit in the co-pilot seat. The day after Christmas every year, we drive to Missouri, southwest Missouri, to see my family and spend Christmas with them. So we'll do that just in two days. We'll hop in the car. We usually get up very early so that we can get to Missouri earlier in the evening. It takes a 12-hour drive, and, and because we wake up so early, I like to switch off with Amanda, and she takes a turn for a couple of hours about halfway through, and I am a terrible co-pilot because I'm always messing with stuff. Uh, I am, am messing with the radio. I'm messing with her playlist that she's chosen to listen to. I'm messing with the air conditioning and the environment uh, in, the, in the car. I'm always uh, questioning how fast she's going. She's usually not going fast enough. She's driving the speed limit. Who drives the speed limit? They expect you to go 10 miles an hour over. Plus it's Christmas. You get a five mile per hour bonus. That's the way that it works. Highway patrol doesn't want to be working on Christmas. They're not going to pull us over. It'll be fine. You know? Just questioning everything. Rolling down the window, windows, wondering if she wants to take a shortcut through Arkansas somehow. Because really, I consider myself a pilot who in that couple of hours just happens to not be sitting in the pilot seat. And that's how most of us interact with God. Yeah, we are willing to admit God is in control. He's in control. He's the boss. But underneath him, I'm in control. Or I'm going to be in as much control as I possibly can be while admitting that he's really the one in control. So if we were saying Mary's sentence, a lot of us, or I'll just maybe just speak for myself, I would say, I am the Lord's and I'm also mine. So yeah, he's un- in control, but underneath him, I'm in control of my life. And Mary doesn't do that. She just says, I am the Lord's servant which means that she was willing to embrace the role that God was giving her, which was weighty. I mean, we've already read some passages from the Old Testament that prophesied about Jesus. Everyone in Mary's nation was looking forward to this Savior being born. And now she's the one that's been chosen to deliver him on earth. It was especially weighty when you compare her yes to her cousins Elizabeth's, yes. Elizabeth mentioned a few times, Elizabeth was known as a barren woman, woman, apparently, around her village. She wanted to have kids, but she couldn't have kids. And God came to Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, and said, your wife's gonna be pregnant, and you're gonna name that baby John, and John is going to prepare people's hearts for Jesus, who will come right after him. So Mary says yes to God. Elizabeth says yes to God. But Elizabeth's yes was a longing fulfilled. It was answered prayer. She had always wanted a baby. And now finally, after years and years and years of no baby, she gets to have this baby. Her yes fulfilled her deep longing inside. But Mary's yes was a sacrifice. That's not what Mary wanted. Mary had a plan. Mary's plan was to be engaged to Joseph. Mary's plan was to marry Joseph Mary's plan was whenever it was time to begin to have children and God 
mess that plan up. So Mary's yes was a sacrifice. It cost her something a great deal. And look how she sealed it in verse 38. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. May everything that you have said about me come true. I think there's something similar written in the scripture in Matthew chapter 26. See if, listen to this, see if you think this sounds similar to what Mary said. My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yeah, I want your will to be done, not mine. When God came to Mary, Mary's yes cost her something. And when God came to Jesus, his son, and said, I want you to play this role, the role of forgiver, the role of sacrifice, the role of Lord, the role of merciful judge, the role of the crucified one, Jesus said, yes. He said, it's, it's not what I would have picked. If there's another way to do it, I'd vote for that, but not what I want. God, what you want. Let everything that you've said about me come true. And I wanna to suggest to you this afternoon that Jesus learned that response from his mom. He learned how to say yes, even when it cost from his mom. And that's something that we can learn today too. Because saying yes to God, all of our influence is tied to it, but it always looks a lot easier on paper than it does in real life. And that's why we're saying today, I am the Lord's servant. Let's pray.